God's people said, amen. Let's give Brother Tim Lee a welcome today, amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, it's an honor and a joy to be back at the Lighthouse. It was an unusual time when we were here in uh, 2020, and uh, I felt like at that time we really connected, and uh, I, I love your pastor and his family, and I've been preaching for his brother, uh, Ryan. Yep. He's, uh, he's and uh, one of them's better looking than the other, and I, I'm just going to say... <laughs> That and, uh, but anyhow, uh, we just made a connection, and so I'm glad that he that he had me back and and got to be here for for this special uh, special Sunday. My wife is with me. She was with me last time as well. Connie, would you stand up and turn around, and let the folks meet you? This is Connie, and and we uh, uh, celebrated recently 51 married uh, 51 years of uh, being married. And uh, we have three uh, children and uh, six awesome uh, grandchildren. And uh, our 16-year-old uh, Allie was uh, killed in an ATV accident in 2017. And, uh, but we have a hope. Uh, we're not like a world without hope. We have a hope. We know we will see her again. She had an unbelievable testimony. She was a soul winner. She was a... She was an athlete, uh, a beautiful young lady. She was super smart, intelligent. She didn't get that from her papa, but she was. Uh, but more important than all that, was she was she was she loved the Lord with all of her heart. Made a difference, an impact. Uh, at uh, there were twenty five hundred people who came to her her visitation, and then another fifteen hundred who came. Uh, to her homegoing service, and 22,000 uh, watched online. Her parents asked if I would give the gospel. And uh, so I gave the gospel, and that day, 287 people received Christ as their personal Savior. And even since that time, we've seen tons of people saved as a result of that girl's testimony, the impact that uh, made. And so uh, many people's lives. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 4. John chapter 4. You can stand if you wish. and I'm going to read a couple of verses, and I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to go back and look at several other uh, Verses here in this great and exciting chapter, the chapter four, the Gospel of John. I'm going to read two verses now, verses 13 and 14. John chapter four, verse 13. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. God will add his blessings to the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. In John chapter number 4, 
And in the preceding chapter, chapter number three, you have two of the most dramatic presentations of people coming to Jesus and finding eternal life. Though the stories are back to back, John 3, John 4, they are almost diametrically opposite of each other. In John chapter number 3, it's a man who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. John chapter number 4, it's a woman who comes to Jesus in the middle of the day. In John chapter number 3, the man is a Jew. In John chapter number 4, the woman is a Gentile. In John chapter number 3, a man who is learned and educated. In John chapter 4, a woman who's very ignorant and unlearned. In John chapter number 3, a man who is a religious leader of his day. In John chapter number 4, a woman who is an adulterous woman of her day. In John chapter number 3, a man who recognizes Jesus as a teacher being sent from God. But in John chapter number 4, a woman who does not have the foggiest idea who Jesus is. Yet in both of these stories, back to back, both of these people come to Christ and they both find eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, the message for you and I today as the church, is that no matter what side of the tracks people may be from, no matter how low or how high on the ladder of success they may have attained, Jesus came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And our job, our responsibility is to tell this world the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to focus our attention on this woman at the well for just a few moments here this morning. The Bible declares in chapter 4 and verse number 4 that he, speaking of Jesus, that he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Understand that Jesus was 100% man. And he was 100% God. You say, Tim, how in the world can you explain that? I cannot explain that anymore than I can tell you how a black cow can eat green grass, give white milk, and turn to yellow butter. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. <laughs> but Jesus was God. And he knew that there would come a woman of Samaria this well, and he had a message for the woman. And so sure enough, Jesus is sitting on the well. It's about noon hour, and here comes this woman with her pots and her pans to draw water. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. He said in verse number nine, then Saith, or excuse me, then cometh a woman of Samaria, verse 7, to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. He does not immediately begin to talk to her about spiritual things. He talks to her about something she can relate to, and every person in this building right now can relate 
to thirst. All of us have been thirsty, sometimes extremely so. I went to a little roadside stand in South Vietnam and paid a Vietnamese mama son 10 American dollars for a Pepsi-Cola. I wouldn't have paid that for a Coca-Cola, but I paid it for a Pepsi-Cola. When I came home from Vietnam, I went from 187 pounds to less than 80 pounds. And then when Connie and I got married, I weighed 110 pounds. And Connie is an is a unbelievable cook. And, um, and so I started putting on all this weight. And then I soon discovered that they only make these wheelchairs so wide. And um, so I started drinking diet drinks. And I didn't like Diet Pepsi. This didn't taste right to me. And, and so I started drinking Diet Coke. And I got addicted to Diet Coke. My wife's got one in her purse for me right now just in case I have a spell. And besides that, the CEO of Coca-Cola Bottling Company gave our ministry $10,000. There are some things I can be bought out on. <laughs> but I paid that little Vietnamese woman 10 American dollars. I was thirsty. All of us have been thirsty. And now this woman is blown away just by the question. Jesus asked her for a drink of water, and the woman saith of Samaria said to him in verse number nine, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and she was right. It was customary in her day for a Jewish person to cross over on the other side of the street, rather than to be caught on the same side of the street. With, with a Gentile, and especially a woman of her background. But here he is, not only talking to her, he's asking her for a favor. He's asking her for a drink of water, and she is blown away. He can't hardly believe that this man is asking her for a favor. And look at how Jesus responds to her in verse number 10. And Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And folks, for our message this morning, the key word in verse number 10 is the little word, who. He said, if you only knew who you were talking to. Now get the picture. She's talking to Jesus. She's talking to the Son of God, one-on-one, -on -one, no outside interruptions at all. But she doesn't know who he is. So many times we become so enamored with the what that we forget about the who. We talk about Moses and a burning bush and how that bush could burn and yet not be consumed. Well, that was a great miracle. But not for you and I to become so enamored with a burning bush that we forget who it was that was in the bush and who it was that was speaking to Moses from the burning bush. We sing songs about the cross. And oh my soul, we should sing songs about that old rugged cross. But not for you and I to become so fixed on a wooden cross that we forget who it was 
that was on the cross. We sing songs about the grave, that empty tomb, and we should sing songs about that empty tomb, but not for you and I to become so enamored with a physical, geographical grave that we forget who it was that was in the grave and who it was that got up from the grave three days later, victorious over sin, death, and hell. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has heard enough about the what. They need to hear about the who. And Jesus is the who. And she's talking to him. You know what our Lord is doing right now? He's reasoning with this woman. You know that our God is a reasonable God. I think sometimes that we're not nearly as reasonable as God. We look at somebody because of their background or their history or where they've been and what they've been doing and things they're involved in and their background and, and their lifestyle. And we think, man, if anybody ever deserved to go to hell, that person deserved to go to hell. And God looks at that very same person in grace and love, and mercy, and compassion, and says if they're willing to repent and receive my son Jesus Christ as their Savior, they can be my child, and they can live with me forever in this awesome place called heaven. He says in Isaiah chapter 1, Come therefore, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God is a reasonable God, and he is reasoning. With this woman. Now, how does he respond? How does she respond when, when he says, if you knew who? Remember, she doesn't know who. But when he says that, how does she reply to that? Look at verse number 11. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, she's, she's very respectful, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank of himself and his children and his cattle? She doesn't know how great and a profound statement she's just made. Yes, he's greater than Jacob. He's greater than Isaac. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than all the prophets that ever has lived or ever will live. He is the son of the living God. And she doesn't know who. Now, look at verse number 13. These are the two verses we read as our text verses this morning. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. And truer words have never been spoken. Last night in Xenia, last night in Columbus, last night in Cincinnati, last night in Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Milwaukee, Seattle, all over America and all over the world. Last night, people were drinking from the waters of the wells of this world. But let me tell you something, friend, tonight, they're going to be thirsty again. And tomorrow night, they're going to be thirsty again. Listen to me, friend. The things of this world cannot satisfy that longing in your soul. You tried everything this world has to offer you, and yet you're still empty today. 
Drugs have a hold on you. Alcohol has a hold on you. Sexual addictions has a hold on you. You've tried everything there is to try. But I'm telling you, tomorrow you're going to be thirsty again. And the next day you're going to be thirsty again. And the next day the things of this world cannot satisfy your soul. But there is an answer. Look at verse number 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And for our message this morning, the key word in verse number 14 is the word whosoever. Aren't you glad God said whosoever? I'm glad God didn't say you had to be super rich in order to go to heaven because most of us would have never made it. And I'm glad God didn't say you had to be super smart, highly educated in order to go to heaven because most of us would have never made it. And I'm glad God didn't say you had to be great looking in order to go to heaven. A bunch of you would have never made it. But he said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. When Jesus died on that old rugged cross, he died for the sins of the black and the white, the red, the yellow. He died for the rich and the poor. He died for the strong and the weak. He died for the educated and the ignorant. Jesus died for the sins of all. And he himself said that he was come to seek and to save that which was lost. It was a primary reason why Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. Now let me ask you a question this morning, people. Do you think this woman is interested in what Jesus just offered her? You better believe it. He has her un divided attention. Look at what she says in verse number 15. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. Give me the water that I thirst not and neither come hither to draw. Give me the water. And here is where our story takes a strange turn. He does not immediately give her the water. Look at, what she, look, at what, look at what Jesus said to her in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now wait a minute. What does her husband have to do with her getting saved? We have been in church all of our lives. We've seen women get saved without the husbands being there. And we've seen men get saved without the wives being there. What does this have to do with anything? Well, on the surface, it would appear nothing. Let's go a little further. Look at what she says. After he said, go call thy husband, in verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus saith unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Oh my, what is going on? 
as Jesus brought this woman to this place just to pull the rug out from underneath her? Is he trying to shame her and embarrass her and intimidate her? Is he, is he, trying, to, is he trying to condemn this woman? Oh, no. For the previous chapter, when Jesus was talking to that rich man in chapter 3 and verse 17, he said that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But it goes on to say in verse number 18, that he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Oh, people, listen to me this morning. This is not a word game. This is not somatics. But you cannot get saved until you get lost. What do you mean by that, Tim? You have to see yourself the way this holy and righteous God sees you. How does God see us? He sees us as sinners. Every one of us have sinned. I've sinned. Pastor sinned. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. It's our sin that separates us from God. It's our sin that keeps us from having a right relationship with God. And it is our sin that will separate us from God for all of eternity in a horrible place called hell, except for the fact that a price was paid for our sin. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing was reasoning this this woman was being reasoned with by our Lord. But then comes repentance. Repentance is what I call the forgotten doctrine of our generation. Used to hear a lot of preaching about repentance. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness preaching, repent, 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 or likewise perish. And our Lord had the same ministry and the same message on this earth, repent. Oswald Chambers said the bedrock of Christianity is repentance. He says, strictly speaking, a man cannot repent when he chooses. He said, repentance is a gift from God. Oh, wow. Well, that's true because the Bible declares that every perfect gift comes from above. He said the old Puritans used to pray for the gift of tears. Think about that statement. They used to pray for the gift of tears. I was preaching in San Francisco many years ago. It was a weeknight. I was at a church called the Chinese Bible Church. And on a weeknight, on, I think it was a Tuesday night, we had over 1,000 people at the Chinese Bible Church. And before I preached that night, the choir sang a special about the cross. is a, a song that I had never heard before, and it was a powerful, powerful song. But I remember, well, looking up at that choir as they were singing, as one after the, it must have been 150 people in that choir, one person after the other person after the other person had tears running down their cheeks and their eyes as they were singing 
about the cross. And they were singing about the suffering that Jesus had done on that cross for them, the singers who were singing about it. it the cross was becoming so real while they're singing about it. Tears. There couldn't have been more than two or three people that didn't have tears. Broken. Oh, our churches used to be filled with tears. People broken at an altar, and I like it. I, I go to a lot of churches, Pastor Josh, and a lot of churches don't even have Kleenex boxes at the altar anymore. You know why? They're not expecting people to have to use them. They're not expecting any brokenness. They're not expecting any tears. Bring back the tears. Bring back the tears of joy. And when we do sing about the cross, or we do sing about that empty tomb, that we can have tears once in a while of, of praise and joy, thanking God for our salvation. And then bring back the tears of brokenness, the tears of conviction. Brokenness. He said, Oswald Chambers went on to say that if ever you cease to know the virtue of repentance, you are in darkness. Let me say that one more time. If ever you cease to know the virtue of repentance, you are in darkness. Then he said this. Examine yourself and see if you've forgotten how to be sorry. Oh, wow. Examine yourself not your wife, not your husband, not your children, not your parents, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the Sunday school teacher, not the youth pastor. Examine yourself. See if you've forgotten how to be sorry. When's the last time with tears and brokenness and conviction on your knees before God have you told God that you were sorry? Lord, I've sinned. Lord, I've I did something that I should not have done. The old preachers, the old time preachers used to call it keeping a short account. That you stay prayed up. And when you're in a revival or you're in a church service and, and God speaks to you that you get things right with God then, you don't let it keep adding up and keep adding up and keep adding up, but you keep a short account with God. You stay in tune with God and right with God. He, this woman had to see herself the way this holy God saw her as a sinner. He said, but Tim, you don't understand. I'm, I'm not really such a bad person. Well, I hate to bust your bubble, but that's not what God says. God says you're a sinner. God says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. The Bible declares that our righteousness, our goodness, are as filthy rags in the sight of this holy God. And friend, when you see yourself the way God sees you, and only at that time, when you see yourself the way God sees you, you realize then that you need a Savior, that you need help, that you cannot save yourself. When I first met Lieutenant Colonel Ollie North, we've been together many, many times. We took a trip to Israel a few years ago, co-hosted a trip, and an amazing, amazing time in the Holy Lands. 
He was a Marine, of course, the older folks remember Ollie North standing uh, there in Washington, D.C. and taking on all of Congress. And, and, uh, but his story was one that he was a self-made man. Everything he ever wanted to do with his life, he did it. And, and, and he was successful, very successful. And so people would talk to him about the Lord, and he couldn't understand that. Why do I need the Lord? I, I, I'm a good man. I, I'm able to do everything I want to do. I've accomplished so much with my life, and I'm not even finished yet. What do you mean I need Jesus? And one day at Camp Lejeune, he was standing on the back of a tank, and he didn't know it, but the tank driver put it in gear and went forward. When he did, when he did, Ollie lost his balance and fell off the tank. It's pretty high up on the tank, and when he, he did, he landed flat on his back. Looking up, he said at that moment, I was paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. I was helpless as a little baby. He said, I realized at that moment that I needed God. Later on, I want to focus on the families. Uh, men led Ollie North to the Lord and has had a remarkable testimony for Jesus ever since. We all need Jesus. We all need the Lord. You may be rich. You, you may be the richest person in this room today. You may be strong. You may be the strongest man in this county. You may be beautiful. You may be the most beautiful woman in this county. You may be smart. You may be the most educated person in this county. But friend, if you don't know Jesus, your life is empty. Today you need him. First comes reasoning. Then comes repentance. And then comes rejoicing. This is the good part. You knew I had a good part, didn't you? Go back to John chapter number four once more. So, they're having this conversation. They went from reasoning now to really getting into the heart of why Jesus is at the well. And um, she said in verse 19, after he told her all about her life, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say then Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. You know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now the woman's begin to understand some things here. It's all coming together. And the woman saith in him, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that the Messiah is going to come. How did, how did she know that? I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. How does she know this? Someone has been witnessing to her. Somebody has been talking to her. 
Oh, folks, the fact that God has given us this opportunity to witness to people, I know sometimes it's easy to get discouraged, want to throw in the towel. I've been witnessing and witnessing and witnessing, and I've not seen anybody come to Christ. I've not seen anybody get saved in so long. And I know it's easy to get discouraged. But my friend, our job is not to save them. I can't save anyone. Your pastor can't save anyone. Our job is to tell them. Our job is to, is to plant the seed. Our job is to do watering. And our job is to tell this world the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's job to save them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them and to bring them into, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, she said, I know that Messiah is coming. And look at what Jesus said unto her in verse number 26. I that speak unto thee am he. I'm the one. I am the Messiah that you've been hearing about. Oh, can you get the picture? This woman is talking to him one-on-one -on -one without any outside interruption whatsoever. And he declares to her, I am he. Now look at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? Verse 28, the woman then left her water pots and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. And here is where most scholars believe that this woman was converted. Where? At the well. Is there any evidence of her conversion? Well, I offer you two pieces of evidence this morning of her salvation. Number one, what did she go to the well for? She took her, her pots to the well to draw water. But now she's gone back to town, but she left her water pots at the well. But I'm going to tell you one better. She took the whole well back to town with her. Folks, she doesn't go back to town discouraged and defeated and depressed. This woman goes back to town with a story to tell. She's got something has happened to this woman at the well. And she goes back to town and starts telling about her encounter with Jesus at the well. Oh, friend, this is the way that it's supposed to be. You get saved and your life is changed by the power of God. You can't keep it to yourself. You got to tell other people. She goes back to town. Oh, oh, hold a minute. She's got a pretty sorry reputation. She is from the wrong side of the track. She has been married five times, and the dude that she's living with now is not her husband. Every bit of that's true. But all of a sudden, she's talking about what happened to her at the well, and here's the amazing thing. They believed her. They believed her. This is the second piece of evidence, the strongest piece. Go to verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman was testified, he told me all that ever I did. She'd never been to vacation Bible school. She's never been to Sunday school. She's never been to a worship service. 
She doesn't know anything about the Bible. All she knows is that something happened to her at the well. And folks, when something happens to you, when you have an encounter with Jesus and he comes into your life, you've got a story to tell. I'm not talking about being a member of a, of a church. You'd be a member of every Baptist church in the state of Ohio and still die and go to hell. I'm not talking about being baptized. You could be baptized in every baptistry in every lake, in every pond, until you know the tadpoles by their first name. You can, be, you, you can be a member of every church, baptized in every church. You can live a good, clean, moral life to the day you die, and it still won't be enough to take you to heaven. And she begins to tell, and the amazing thing is they believe her, and they follow her back out to where Jesus is at, at the well, Look at verse number 39 again. Let's read it one more time. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman was testified. Somebody needs to testify. Saying of the woman was testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that they would tarry with him and he abode there two days. Revival breaks out. Jesus is only planning on being there for just a little time. But revival breaks out. And he stays for two more days. And a whole ton more people come to Jesus. Look at verse number 40. Of, or excuse me, verse 41. And many more, and many more believe because of his own words. In verse 42, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Wow. First comes reasoning. Then comes repentance. And then comes rejoicing. God's people ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. God's people ought to be the most rejoicing people on the face of the earth. I see it happen. Normally it's in the second service. It's getting close to that magical hour. Getting close to noon. And I'm preaching. And I see people begin to look at their watchers. And uh, I don't know what it is about noon hour, but if God can't do it by noon, that's too bad. Because we've got to beat the Methodist at the cafeteria. The invitation starts and people are coming to get saved. People are coming to get their lives right with God. Families are, are being put back together. But they're looking at their watches and they almost act like they're upset. I'm talking about church members. And then lots of times, not, not all the time, but every once in a while, the pastor will get up after the evangelist and say, well, folks, I don't know what's going on, but I just sense that the Holy Spirit is wanting us to sing one more verse. Oh, woe be to the person that gets out and comes on that verse. Why didn't they come when everybody else came? It's going to take at least seven or eight minutes for somebody to show them how to get saved. 
be my luck, they're going to want to get baptized today. And now the Pentecost are going to beat us to the cafeteria. People were getting saved at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, not upset us. It ought to cause us to get in a spirit of revival. It said these people begged for Jesus' stay, and he stayed for two more days. And this is what happens when you get saved, and you begin to tell your family, and you begin to tell your friends, and all of a sudden they want to get saved, and they want what it is that you have. And, and, you, and there's rejoicing going on. He said, well, Tim, you don't understand my circumstances. I'm not trying to be rude or mean at all today, friend, but truth of the matter is circumstances don't have anything to do with salvation. The Bible says rejoice because your name's written down. You might have got fired this past week. You may not have enough money to cover the checks that are trying to come through your bank on Monday morning. You may have gotten a bad report from your doctor. Your child might may be in trouble at school or at the juvenile hall. They may have a lot of problems going on in your life, but if you're saved, you still have reason to rejoice because your name is written down. You have everything. Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We can still bless his name. We can still praise him. We can still rejoice even when everything seems to be going the wrong direction. We've got reason to rejoice. Some of you have been saved, but there's no joy in your life. You used to have joy. You used to be excited. You used to really enjoy uh, talking about the Lord and singing songs. And there used to be some tears and there used to be some brokenness. And used to be you could find yourself at an altar during the invitation, but you've gotten cold and indifferent and and, and, and you, you've just gotten hard against the things of God. My friend, you need your joy back. There's only one way to do that. That's to repent. That's to repent. You can leave here today singing victory in Jesus and really mean it, knowing that everything's right between you and God. And friend, if you've never been saved, this could be the greatest day of your entire life today. To be the greatest day of your entire life if you would say yes to Jesus today. God loves you so much. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what your past has in it. If you come to Jesus today, he will forgive you of all your sins. He'll wash them away as white as snow. He'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. He'll make you his child. I want you to bow your heads.